Coming up next, Tube Tunes in Color. The following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. As a late baby boomer, I was definitely a child of television. By the time I was born in 1959, the American broadcast television industry had moved past its admittedly humble, even experimental beginnings right after World War II, and was firmly entrenched in its sophomore period. Some folks call this time from roughly 1948 to around 1960 as TV's golden age, but I digress because all of that happened before I was born. My earliest TV memory, for which I can place a definite date, occurred in the spring of 1964. So that's where this episode will start. I'll then move on through the different shows and events that, looking back on it now, I can see had a profound impact on my sense of humor, on my appreciation for drama, on my love of music, and on my general outlook on life. It's a personal journey through my TV watching days in an episode I call Cathode Ray Memories. Let's begin. spring of 1964, my younger brother and I got our tonsils out, and I can clearly remember trying to grab a hold of the door frame as I was rolled into the hospital operating room, and I can vividly recall the smell of the rubber face mask that was placed over my mouth and nose to administer the anesthesia. The smell of that type of rubber brings that memory back even to this day. I recall being allowed to watch TV on the far wall of the hospital room. Now, before that time, I had only watched daytime television that's all I was allowed to watch. My bedtime was 7.30. There wasn't much on that I could watch. So being able to watch something adult at night 
was something of a treat. What was airing was not a cartoon or a kid's show, which were the only shows I ever watched. What was airing was a drama about a young couple that were trapped in an idyllic town with no people. The show followed them as they ran from place to place within the town, trying to find anyone who could tell them where all the people had gone. With increasing desperation, they finally happened upon a car, which they hoped would take them out of the ghost town and back to their home. When the car doesn't start, a quick look under the hood revealed that the car had no engine. And additionally, they kept hearing a young girl laughing, but the couple are unable to locate her. Some of you out there probably know which episode of which show I'm talking about, but I had no idea. I won't tell you the ending because you may want to see this episode for yourself if you haven't already seen it. But my recollection is that for many years, even decades, I had no idea what the show was. Even into the early 1980s, well into my teenage years, when I was developing a strong interest in television history and trivia, I still didn't know, or by this time even remember, what show I had seen on that hospital room TV all those years before when I was five years old. In 1983, however, I acquired a book called The Twilight Zone Companion by Mark Scott Zicree. Now, I was somewhat familiar with the show, hosted by Rod Serling and filmed in glorious black and white, but I'd only seen a few episodes. Reruns didn't air too often where I lived at the time. In reading one chapter of the book about an episode called Stopover in a Quiet Town, which was written by Earl Hamner Jr., later of the Waltons, and which aired on April 24, 1964, I suddenly realized that this episode is the unidentified show I had seen in 1964 nearly 20 years earlier. From that information, I was able to deduce that I must have been watching the TV during prime time, as reruns of The Twilight Zone had not begun airing yet. I was glad to make my memory a little bit more concrete. Now about The Twilight Zone. Well, it aired on CBS from October 2nd, 1959 until September 18th, 1964. There were 156 episodes, 138 of them half hour, and 18 one hour episodes that aired during the fourth season all of them black and white. Reruns of the one-hour episodes were rebroadcast on CBS from May to September of 1965. The host was Rod Serling. He was born December 25, 1924 and died June 28, 1975 at the young age of 49. He was a highly respected writer. He wrote Patterns, Requiem for a Heavyweight, and later hosted Rod Serling's Night Gallery. In 1984, there was a movie called The Twilight Zone Movie, and there were two reboots of the show, once in 1985 that lasted for four years, The Twilight Zone, which ran on CBS and in first-run syndication, who was narrated by Charles Aidman and Robin Ward, and 110 episodes were produced. And then in 2002, the show came back to UPN, this time hosted by Forrest Whitaker. 22 episodes of that show were produced. Now, what kind of influence did it have on me? Well, I would say that it probably had a pretty big influence on my sense of drama, 
my appreciation of science fiction and supernatural themes, and twist endings, especially since I've seen so many of the episodes since that time, I've really come to appreciate that. So The Twilight Zone ends up being my first TV memory. The theme for the first 31 episodes of the first season of The Twilight Zone was composed by Bernard Herrmann, veteran movie and TV composer. You can hear more about him in the Have Gun Will Travel segment of episode one of Tube Tunes, Go West Old Man, Adult Westerns of the 1950s Part 1. We'll now listen to that theme from the first 31 episodes of The Twilight Zone by Bernard Herrmann. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. episodes of the first season used an abbreviated version of the narration for the opening theme. We'll listen to the opening and closing theme for those five episodes, again composed by Bernard Herrmann. You are about to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound but of mind, a journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. From the second season on, the theme used was actually composed by Marius Constant, who lived from 1925 to 2004. It actually is music that he created for the CBS Stock Music Library, and it's two pieces, one entitled Each Range 3 and the other one entitled Milieu 2. 
He was a Romanian-French composer, and both of those pieces together create what everybody recognizes as the true Twilight Zone theme music. Let's listen to Season 2's opening and closing theme music, composed by Marius Constant. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. season three, the opening narration was changed slightly, so we'll listen to that now, as well as the closing theme. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. listen to the opening and closing theme music for season five of the Twilight Zone, where the opening narration was changed once again. Again, the music was composed by Marius Constant. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of sight, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. As an added bonus, we'll now listen to the opening theme to the Twilight Zone 1985 revival. This theme was composed and performed by the Grateful Dead. 
And finally, we'll listen to the Twilight Zone 2002 revival theme. This one was composed by Don Harper, and it's narrated by host Forrest Whitaker. You're traveling to another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are only that of the imagination. The Twilight Zone. After these messages, Tube Tunes will be right back. Christopher? Hey, Kevin. Hi, Chris. Kevin? Christopher. Let me ask you a question. Hey, Kevin. Uh, what do you call that show? We call that show, call that their show, Tupacast. And we talk about all kinds of things. We talk about movies. We talk about TVs. We, we might even talk about some books. We talk about life. We talk about anything that comes to mind. It's a lot of fun. We talk about current events. We talk about retro and vintage items. And there's a whole on the pipeline for today. But we've got at least another five or ten more. But y'all may check out Tupacast. You can uh, find Tupacast at um, iTunes or C-Tupa.com. It's a really fun show, and there's even artwork for the show on the blog, so you should check that out, too. You were you were scapping out there a little bit. Can you repeat all that? So, yeah, like, I have a, this new podcast, <laughs> and I... I... <laughs> for the best art on the web, go to ctupa.com. For the best podcast, go to ctupa.com slash tupacast. Tupacast. Movies, TV, toys, tunes, and life. You're invited to the Marilyn Monroe Film Festival featuring co-stars Jane Russell, Cary Grant, and Robert Mitchum. Here on Atlanta's WTCG 17. next early TV memory would probably be Captain Kangaroo. It ran on CBS from October 3, 1955 and ended on December 8, 1984. There were black and white episodes. I have no idea how many. Uh, they ran from 55 to 66. It went to color in 66 until the end. In September of 81, it was renamed Wake Up with the Captain and shortened to a half an hour. And in September of 82, it was called Just Wake Up. It was back to an hour, but it had moved to the weekends. Bob Keeshan played Captain Kangaroo. Bob Keeshan was previously known as Clarabelle the Clown on the old Howdy Doody series. He also played Mr. Pennywhistle and the Town Clown. Also in the cast were Hugh Lumpy Branham as Mr. Green Jeans and Mr. Boehner the Painter, Cosmo Allegretti as all of the puppets, including Bunny Rabbit, Mr. Moose, Dancing Bear, Miss Frog, Grandfather Clock. He also provided the voice of Fred, who could be found on Channel 1, and he did the drawings for the Magic Drawing Board. Also in the cast were James Wall as Mr. Baxter, Debbie Weems as Debbie, and also the voice of Baby Duck, Kevin Clash as Artie, and many others, John Burstein as Slim Goodbody, Bill McCutcheon as Mr. Homan, and Dr. Joyce Brothers was on three seasons of the show as herself. Segments on the show included Terry Toon's cartoons, Lariat Sam, and Tom Terrific and Mighty Manfred, The Wonder Dog. Another segment later on was Bill Cosby's Picture Pages and the Banana Man cartoons with Sam Levine as the voice. 
And of course, my favorite segment on the show was the town clown. The show was set in the treasure house, a big rambling house that the captain lived in with all of his friends. It was called that until 1971 when the name was changed to just the captain's place. I remember a lot of things about this show. I remember all of the characters. I remember all of the situations. I remember the knock-knock jokes that Mr. Moose would tell to Captain Kangaroo to try and get him to say the word ping-pong balls so that a whole bunch of ping-pong balls would fall on him. I remember Bunny Rabbit trying to trick Captain Kangaroo out of his carrots. There were a whole lot of characters that I really loved. What kind of influence did it have on me? Well, I would certainly say that it had an influence on my positivity, my appreciation of reading because Captain did read a lot of books on the show out loud. It was a slow-paced show, so I think it probably helped with my sense of patience. There were often animals on the show. After all, Mr. Green Jeans was a farmer and he often brought animals to the show. And there was even a subtle comedy to the show. And the town clown segments, as I said, were my favorite and gave me a great appreciation for pantomime. The series theme was called Puffin Billy and was written by Edward G. White, who lived from 1910 to 1994. He was a British composer. The theme was performed by the Melody Light Orchestra and it was used from 1955 until 1974. And of course, that's the theme I remember. There were lyrics penned for the song by Mary Rogers in 1957. And now we'll listen to the opening theme tune, Puffin Billy, written by Edward G. White, that was used on Captain Kangaroo from 1955 until 1974. In 1974, the show changed its theme, although it did use elements of Puffin Billy, and the song was called Good Morning Captain. It was composed by Robert L. Brush. We'll now listen to the opening theme music to Captain Kangaroo, Good Morning Captain, used from 1974 onward. Uh, well, good morning, Captain. 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 Good morning. Good morning, Captain. Come on out and play. Wake up the sunshine and share this rainy day.
It's time now for the mystery tune. I will play you a portion of an obscure TV theme tune from an obscure national TV series. Then you, my intrepid listener, can send me your guess for the name of the show. You can send me an email, a tweet, post a comment on my Facebook page, on my blog page, or on tubetunes.net. You can use carrier pigeon, morse code, semaphore, or even an Aldous lamp if you'd like. If you guess correctly on your first try, I'll mention you in the next episode of Tube Tunes. Good luck, and here's this episode's mystery tune. show that I remember very well, mainly because it was really geared towards kids even though it ran at night, was Gilligan's Island. Now I talked at length about this show in episode 3, A Wacky Week in 1965 Part 2, so you can check more about the show there. A few things that Gilligan's Island did influence for me was my appreciation for slapstick comedy, which wasn't hard since that's what most kids like when they're growing up. But there was character comedy on the show, especially between Gilligan and the Skipper. And there was some absurd humor as well. The theme music was written by George Weil, and the lyrics were written by Sherwood Schwartz, and it was performed by the Wellingtons for the first season. The title of the theme was Ballad of Gilligan's Isle. Now the reason that I chose this show to talk about today is because when in 1972 I got enough money to buy my own cassette tape recorder, that was the first theme I ever recorded. I was visiting my grandparents in New Jersey, and they got a lot of channels from New York and from Philadelphia that showed a lot of old TV shows that I didn't get down in Alabama. So as soon as I got that cassette tape recorder, I started recording before we were going to head back home. I got a lot of themes, and what you're going to hear now is actually the first theme I ever recorded on cassette. Yes, I still have it. It's the theme to Gilligan's Island, the Ballad of Gilligan's Island and it's the first season theme performed by the Wellingtons. Sorry about the poor quality, but it is tape one, side one, and it's the first theme on the tape. So enjoy. messages, Tube Tunes will be right back. My name's Doug McCoy, and I like podcasts about the things that interest me. So what interests me? 
movies from the 80s, anthology TV shows, and just a bunch of random junk like the Atari 2600, the Nintendo, comic books, and all that good stuff from my childhood. So if you are interested in the things I'm interested in, come to McCoyCast.wordpress.com or find the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. to provide equal employment opportunities to qualifiable applicants without regard to race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. This is WTCG Channel 17 Atlanta, an equal opportunity employer. The next show is Gentle Ben. It ran on CBS from 1967 to 1969. There were 56 episodes produced. It was produced by Ivan Tours, who did the Flipper series earlier. set in the Everglades in Florida, and it starred Dennis Weaver. You can hear more about Dennis Weaver in the Gunsmoke segment of episode one of Tube Tunes, Go West Old Man, Adult Westerns of the 1950s Part 1. Also in the cast were Beth Brickell, Clint Howard, that's Ron Howard's younger brother, and Ben, a big lumbering giant bear. Now why would I like this show? Why would I remember it? I distinctly remember the hype about the show before it came on in 1967 commercials about a boy and his pet bear in the Florida Everglades. So I couldn't wait until Sunday night when it premiered. My parents were right behind me on the couch watching and I distinctly remember being horrified when I found out that the character's name was Mark. Now that's my name so I was very embarrassed and I felt like oh my gosh how can I watch this show now? I've been looking forward to it for so long and he's got the same name I do. So anyway I remember being embarrassed by that for some unknown reason, but I ended up watching the show and loving it. I think it really influenced my sense of drama, my appreciation of animals, and even my appreciation for characters named Mark. I have no problem with watching anything that has a Mark in it. We'll listen to the opening theme music now. It was written by Harry Suckman, and lyrics, which were never used, were composed by Joe Lubin. After these messages, Tube Tunes will be right back.
Hi, this is Siri. Do you like tons of shows in one fancy site? Well, now you got them. I've searched out Zervinator.wordpress.com, and I love it. It's the coolest thing since Google. Podcasts rock. And Zerb is so hot. He's cute too. So jump right into the best shows on the internet with Zervinator Land Podcasting. You'll be glad you did. And for all you Apple freaks, yes, it's on iTunes too. And now, back to whatever you were searching for. You dirty, dirty little freak. Goodbye. WTCG TV, Channel 17, from Atlanta, Georgia. When our local PBS station began running Monty Python's Flying Circus in 1975 or so, I gobbled it up. After my introduction to British humor, there was no going back. Monty Python's Flying Circus was sort of a stream-of-consciousness comedy series from Britain with John Cleese, Michael Palin, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, Graham Chapman, and Terry Gilliam. It also had Carol Cleveland and Connie Booth in it. I loved the show, even though some of it could be a little bit over my head, or even risque, or even not very funny. But I still loved it, and I still do to this day. It certainly influenced my appreciation of British humor, absurdist humor, and even stream-of-consciousness narratives. And of course, the animation from Terry Gilliam is something I still love. The theme for the show was the Liberty Bell March, which is actually an American composition by American composer John Philip Sousa. He composed it in 1893. Let's take a listen to the opening theme music to Monty Python's Flying Circus, the Liberty Bell March by John Philip Sousa. And now, it's... That's it for this episode of Tube Tunes. Thanks everybody for letting me wax nostalgic a little bit and indulging me in this look back at all the shows that I watched as a child and as a teenager that influenced my outlook on life. I hope you enjoyed it. episode of Two Tunes will be entitled The Mike Post Legacy, in which we'll be looking at and listening to all of the theme music from prolific composer Mike Post. 
be sure to join me. Same bat time, same bat channel. I would first like to thank Zerbinator for his guidance and encouragement as I continue on this project. His podcasting expertise has been very valuable to me. I would urge all of my intrepid listeners to give any of his many podcasts a listen. They're a lot of fun. Just go to zerbinator.wordpress.com to find a list of his podcasts and to get started listening. Also, I can't forget to thank Zerbinator for composing the theme music that's heard at the beginning and end of Tube Tunes. It's a great theme, and you can find all of his other great music at zerbitron.bandcamp.com. Thanks, Burford. I also need to give thanks to the Free Music Archive, which provided the following music under the Creative Commons license. Le Esprit de Escalier by Jean-Luc Hefferman and Red Shifted by Charlie Halas Humara. Finally, I would also like to give heartfelt thanks to my beautiful wife, Lizzie. She has put up with me and with this strange podcasting thing with the patience of a saint, and I could never fully repay her. But I will definitely try. Nudge, nudge, snap, snap, grin, grin, wink, wink, say no more. TubeTunes is a proud member of the Throwback Network. You can listen to all of the great retro-themed podcasts on the network, including this one, by visiting throwbacknetwork.net. Episodes of TubeTunes can be found on iTunes and on Stitcher. Please take time to leave a review of TubeTunes. You can also listen to TubeTunes on your Roku device by going to the TuneIn app and typing TubeTunes in the search field. Also, be sure to check out the TubeTunes website at tubetunes.net. All of the episodes can be found there as well. You can also visit the TubeTunes blog page at tubetunespodcast.blogspot.com. TubeTunes can also be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash tubetunes and on Twitter at tubetunespod. Finally, you can send Mark an email and let him know what you think about any episode of TubeTunes. Just write to him, mark at tubetunes.net. Thank you. Support for TubeTunes is provided by a grant from the Telesearch Group and by listeners like you. Thank you. This is station WABC-TV New York, Channel 7, WNBC now speaking TV for the entire staff in New York. On behalf of WNBC-TV, WNBC good night. TV in New York. Good morning. Good morning.